Hey folks, Tony Russo here from the So What's Your Story podcast. Um, in case you didn't know, each week we have a reading that accompanies the show that we put up on our website, so what's your story podcast.com. Um, if you go back there, first of all, you can check out a bunch of the old shows, but also you can hear the readings of the author for that particular week. This week we have Carrie Comerot, and uh, he did something a little different. He did like a spoken word poetry thing set to music and we thought it was pretty interesting so we decided that we wanted to share it at the beginning of the show poetry is not your thing i get it it's not always my thing but this is pretty cool and it's just two minutes long so take a listen and then the show will start directly after that so here's carrie we were happy sailors chasing darker waters Pushed eight knots to a mounting bow wave, romping home across the bay. We swept the wind wild and healing, heading up to a northerly gust. The nor'easter circled round to pound us, shook some sense into clouds and night fire. Storming waves of salt-brewed menace swallowed a waxing moon, enough to wash us all far out to sea if it had a mind. As if tired of sinking ships and dashing dolphin pride, it came to dwell along the tortured lane where each tumbling wave that rises, dark and born to bully and spite, gives no rest. On shore, you opened arms to catch the breakers coming in like holiday pirates caps of foam and black knives slicing the moon's delight. And we made passage through the cut, just under the wire. But while you shuttered home and hearth and mind against the tempest bearing down on boards and fears, we came ashore and thanked our lucky stars for refuge, harboring life and limb, and let the nor'easter clear our minds for another day. It's not all sun and sand. And to say that this, to limit this place to all sun and sand, particularly the pressure to do that in Ocean City, I mean, you know, one painting after another, I mean, they're gorgeous, okay? And some folks do them better than others, blah, blah, blah. But there's just so many people that come here from elsewhere and bring all their little hopes and prayers and past experiences to here and are recovering from there or thanking their lucky stars that they're here or whatever. There are ethnic groups here. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have poet Carrie Kamarat, who has published two collections of poetry. A native son of Chicago, he has since moved to Ocean City, Maryland, and has found a sailor's delight in our local landscapes of the Atlantic and the Chesapeake. His poetry has appeared in The Federal Poet, Poets on the Fringe, Prospectus, A Literary Offering, 
and the District Lines Anthology. His debut collection, Travel Walk, Poems and Images, was published in 2014, and a second volume of Poetry and Photos, Out of Delmarva, came out in 2015. So welcome to the podcast, Carrie. Hi, it's good to be here. When you first came in, you did a recital of two of your poems, and you mm-hmm. had, for the first time ever on our podcast, we had musical accompaniment to that. We okay. had uh, Paula Jeske and George Belenke. I wasn't really sure what we were going to be getting into when we had some musical accompaniment, because we never had a poet do that for a reading. But when I heard your voice, when you first said Chicago, I was like, wow, we are on to something. Oh, good. So for you, where do you, like, where does that come from? Well, well, in the first place, we've practiced together over at the wine bar right over here. We've, I've stepped up to open mic, uh, singing some songs, playing guitar. After Northwestern University and my degree there, I've done a lot of like poetry readings and theater, community theater, and um, poetry to me means performance. Sure. That's kind of where it's coming from, I guess. The idea to add the music, though, is that, is that new or is that something you've been doing the whole time? Not the whole time. There's some pieces, most of the poetry readings I've done um, in D.C., in Chicago, and uh, various places here on the Eastern Shore, um, I did without music. But there are a couple of pieces that just really want music. Mm. And and after reading them for a while without music, I realized, why am I not doing this with music? It's a jazz poem. Right. You know. Very, very Tom Waitsy is what, especially especially that, uh, that second one, I got that that kind of, and I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, we yeah. were talking about Tom Waits actually right before you yeah. got here, so it's kind of on my yeah. mind. I haven't thought about him in a long time, but yeah. But on his records, there's usually one spoken word song that's very much like that. It's the the, the last song on the album is often the the poem set to music rather than rather than a, a straight dead song. So he, I, do, he does that down from his gut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, you've, you've got similar voices as well. You've oh, got thank you. Gosh. <laughs> those big rich voices. Yeah, it was, and I think that was probably the first thing that kind of caught it was when you were like Chicago. I mean, it was like you really kind of you have this very rich voice, thank but then you. that paired with this incredibly colorful poem, and it's it's colorful and it's got energy and it's like the words are just kind of vibing. I could almost, when I was watching you do it, I could kind of watch the words kind of almost like ripple up for you. It was just, it was incredible. You're making me so high. I mean, that is really, thank you so much. And so you mentioned Northwestern. Did you study poetry there or? It did you was study called, when I was there, it was called Oral Interp, mm-hmm. Oral Interpretation. And it was uh, teaching folks how to stage all literature, not just dramatic literature. Mm-hmm. So you can take anything and stage it one way or the other, formally, informally, light show, uh, church venue, whatever. You right. Know? And now it's called School of Communication. Of course, they broadened. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, that's where I kind of picked up the ability to look at a text, let its own rhythm come out, uh, listen for the rhythm of the text, and, and try to do it. Now, I guess, I guess doing it, it's like anything else, the practice, you, you start to see it as it happens faster. Like, so you're going to do a cold reading later on tonight, but I imagine that what you having heard a little bit of the song, and once you see the, once you see the music, you'll get how the beat goes because of this mm-hmm. practice. It's like any other expertise. Yes, sir? Yeah. I'm hoping it's not too cold. And so what drew you to it? I didn't know that there was such a thing as oral interpretation until this very second. I was doing theater. Mm. College theater. I loved theater. I mean, back to grade school, I loved theater. 
And then somebody at Northwestern saw a performance or two of mine at Roosevelt University in Chicago. Actually, that's probably the best prize I got. I was offered a, 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 an assistantship based on those performances. And it was in the Orland Terp. I said, well, what is Orland Terp? Who ever heard of that? You know, it's better than the theater department. They're in a, in a lull this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're really with it. And come on, check it out. And it's, a, it's about staging literature. And right. I found that really fascinating. And so the working behind the scenes, what did that do to help you see how to put it on? Like, because that's that's... That's a good way. A good way to learn is to ha- is to stand back and watch what everyone's doing wrong and say, "All right, well, when this starts to happen, I know how to avoid it." It, it was more like seeing the process, internalizing the process, so that it started to become natural. You go from, "Who said this? Who? What actor?" But he said he lives with a text, and everybody's kind of looking at him at rehearsals, like, "Why aren't you putting anything into this? You're just..." And he would just live with the text until it finally sunk in, and then he would become the text. So it's that whole process from you, you open the book or turn that page, you see it, you live with it, you take it apart, consciously, unconsciously, intuitively, rhythmically, however you work. You put it together with performance. You see what can enhance it kind of organically, hopefully, if you're good, you know, organically, what can enhance it on on a stage or whatever venue you're performing in. And you go through the challenges, the production challenges of coming up with those, with that framework. Right. Okay. Now, did you see yourself as a poet before you started that process or... Did that sort of bring the poet out of you? I remember writing, you know, the usual purple prose and awful poems right. when I was in grade school. And oddly enough, there was, a, there was a story I wrote about my grandpa when he passed on. And I look at it now, and it was, it's in prose form. But the images and the, the rhythm of the language is poetry. And there was that. There was a Sunday school teacher who was very uh, encouraging of me because she saw a sampling. There was this, there was that. So I wrote all this stuff that was sort of accepted as I was a little kid and through high school, then sort of forgot it. And then I started teaching languages, Spanish and French, but mostly English as a second language abroad. And I started simplifying texts. So I got in the habit of writing, be it prose or whatever, got in the habit of sitting down, as a, another friend of mine used to say, just chain yourself to that typewriter. Now, you know that's a dated remark. Right. Sure, sure. Chain yourself to that typewriter till it gets done. So I started doing that in Saudi Arabia where I taught English. They were in love with Michael Jackson. So I took song lyrics of his, developed them into language, uh, what do you call it, language drills, and uh, then a text based on the key vocabulary. So I was doing a lot of writing. And then I got to Spain and I spent the longest time there, and I started translating some American standards, like All of Me, okay. uh, Wind Beneath My Wings, you know, mm. into Catalan, because I really loved Catalan culture. It's, it's the language they speak in the northeastern corner of Spain. And they were well-received. I performed them, uh, stepping up to the mic, uh, evenings that I was paid for, uh, you know, in various venues. I don't know, you know, it got me writing and thinking that I came to D.C. when I came back to the States, and I joined the Federal Poets. The, I think it's the oldest ongoing group of poets in the capital, and uh, started publishing my poems in their journal, 
started writing some poetry that was picked up by poetry and photos, travel photos as well. It was picked up by uh, Tulane Review and you know uh, District Lines, etc. And you know, both poems and photos. And then uh, there I was. You know, I was performing my poems like what was it? Kensington. Kensington Day of the Book and festivals that they had over there, reading my poetry there, reading it in D.C., various venues, um, going back to Chicago, reading them, et cetera. So, so getting out to do the readings, did that help you do more poetry? Was it like, was it, was it like, a, like, a, like almost like a feedback loop, like the more you got out, the more you were able to write, the more you were able to write, the more you got out? Mm, definitely. Were you booking yourself at these festivals? And, and I don't I don't have any clue how that works at all. So do you show up at a festival? And is it like an open mic situation or do you have to reserve a spot? Well, these will be, it depends on what mm-hmm. the venue or the festival is like as to how it's arranged. If you're stepping up to a mic, um, it was mostly that or then booking, either that or booking a, uh, a spot. Mm-hmm. It would be kind of like announcements go out here for the Delmarva Review Contest. Only I'm still sending them. I'm still electronically, I'm still, I've got my connection with Federal Poets still going. And I send out, if I get an announcement, there's this thing happening for poets. Mm -hmm. My rule is I will forward what you send me if it affords an opportunity to read. Right. Right. You know, so it's that, Mm -hmm. you know. Just just finding the opportunities and Exactly. It comes just... Emails. Yeah. <laughs> and you show up or you call or, you, yes, I'm interested or sure, sure. talk to the people in charge, whatever. You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we're talking with poet Carrie Kamarat. Now, the two poems that you, you read, which will be the paired reading on, on our website, the one was about Chicago and it's very sort of, like I said, it's very colorful. It's very, really powerful. Mm-hmm. And then the next one you did was about the a nor'easter, which you know, being a Delmarva resident, I can certainly, uh, I can certainly, I'm I'm right there with you on on that. It just seems uh, that you draw heavily on these landscapes or these environments or these, you know, pulling all that stuff out of Chicago and then turning around and pulling all that stuff literally right out of the nor'easter. Mm-hmm. You know, so. What are your sort of inspirations when you go to approach something? Is it do you get this moment and then you're like, ah, oh, I've got to write that down? I get, it's a travel thing for me. Okay, I mean that's why I call my first book Travel Walk. Right, and my my blog is also called Travel Walk. I've got a lot of photos. I've got a lot of articles that I've written, poems that I've written. Basically, it's a travel experience. Things that I places I've traveled to or lived as a travel experience. Now it's starting to turn into journeys into because I I kind of feel I got one more book of poems in me, American Legends, and it'll probably be a retelling poetically of Native American legends, a variety of them. I had a couple that I started in the other books and that I included in the other books, and it got me interested in that sort of thing. And that all was like an offshoot of going to the Nanticoke a powwow mm. right, in September. Right. Yeah. God, some of the best pictures of the dancers and things moving, you know. And I've just, as a photographer, I discovered that, oh, you don't always want everything to be in perfect focus. You know, you want to blur. Show a little motion, yeah. Yeah, you want to blur. You want it to look, sometimes that blur can look like a, um, an impressionist painting, you know, so don't throw it away, you know. Mm. Right. Now, so I, I'd like to tie the, the photos to the poetry because in your second book, that's what you did. Um, and, and again, was that 
taking the photos and ruminating on them or you, you knew what you were looking for when you went out shooting that morning? I think I pretty much got a collection of, you know, just a repertoire of a bunch of photos, mm -hmm. files, files and files. Right. Occasionally I go out and get it. Let's see. Oh, yeah, we actually took a kite out on 134th Street, took a kite, tried to make it fly. I'm no kite flyer. <laughs> <laughs> and the that Carrie, he's no kite flyer. I'll tell you what. <laughs> and that, that we got this picture of me trying to, just trying to get this thing off the ground. And it's this weird angle of sort of the, it's in, it's in out of Delmarva, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, the, the lines are coming into the vortex there and, and the kite is obviously on the ground. It's not where it's supposed to be. <laughs> right. And uh, I went out and actually got that related to something. But actually it was in the first book that the photos are more co directly coordinated with with where the place is. Ah. In the second book, I kind of put photos in, hopefully standing as their own pieces, uh, photo poems. Yeah. Like I got this, I got this nice picture of just footprints in the sand and called it rush hour. Right. <laughs> <laughs> different, different lifestyles. Right? Sure, sure. Yeah. And so I would think that uh, coming from Chicago, being a native son of Chicago, and then coming to coming to the Eastern Shore, I mean, those worlds have got to be sort of diametrically opposed. I would imagine, you know, the hustle and bustle of one of the biggest cities mm -hmm. in, in the world and then, you know, being here in Flatland where it's, you know, crickets chirping. Mm -hmm. Did that, did that juxtaposition of like where you came from and where you are now, and then, of course, all the stuff that you've done sort of in the middle, does that kind of feed into where you feel your work is going forward now? It's not that so much the juxtaposition of the two kinds, different kinds of environments, because I've been, my changes across environments have uh, sort of brought me to where I'm really comfortable. I mean, I mean, I like nature. It's incredible going to my neighborhood park has got heron flying. And, you know, it's just it's beautiful. It's, this is a wonderful area. Uh, I like hearing birds. I liked them when I was a kid. I always want as a kid, I wanted to leave Chicago. Oh, really? I always wanted to leave Chicago because we had family in still do in Terre Haute, Indianapolis, Evansville, you know, in Indiana. Mm. And we'd go there at least once a month to just visit. And I loved being able to hear birds out my window. I couldn't hear any in the alley where I, you know, right. near where I, on my bedroom window right. uh, in Chicago. So I really wanted to live in like yeah, a small town, but you know, near a big city. And that's kind of me now. I like this density of population and this exposure to nature. Mm -hmm. Within you know, a reasonable trip to a city. I visit cities now. I don't visit the seaside on vacation. <laughs> right. I visit cities. I think just for me as a writer, one of the things that I really draw on is landscape. To me, that's stuff that kind of seems to be in my foundation. It mm -hmm. seems to be stuff that I'm always drawing on. And I just, mm -hmm. you know, am trying to picture being a kid growing up in a city like Chicago and then coming out here and how might that play into into my, into my the difference in the work. When I went back to Chicago, I realized that... Um, Probably couldn't live there again, but I really love it. It's a beautiful city. It is just fantastic. And mm -hmm. it must be going through, I mean, violence notwithstanding. You know, American cities are kind of like that one way or the other, you sure, know. Sure. But Chicago is going through a real prime, kind of like, I don't know, New York in the 50s, maybe. That kind of not too many rats around. And it's really <laughs> relatively clean and pretty and very picturesque. And lots to do, incredibly. I mean, just lots to do. But 
for me, it's like I said, the travel thing. It's travel experiences. So, or journeys to some place. Well, I had the Chicago journey as a long journey as a kid, and and you know, and then going back later, and then I've got the Nanticoke powwow was a journey. Mm. And uh, so I, I really felt honored. Yeah, oh, no, I can imagine. Yeah. That for me, I haven't, since the, uh, the assistantship, I, I haven't gotten any prizes. Right. But the prizes for me have been, if I write a poem about a place or an experience and people who've had that experience or that place, known that place, um, really get off on the poem. They really appreciate it. That's for me. That's an award. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a real award and reward. You know. I, I think so. It's travel. Yeah. It's journeys into. You know. Gotcha. And so, can you talk to us a little bit about the decision to say, okay, I have these poems, and now I'm gonna publish. You know, what what was the impetus for you to say, oh, well, I've got these things that I've written, and and I've got these photos and all that, but where, at what point did you go? You know what? These are gonna be books. I guess uh, after I got to D.C. and started writing poetry with the federal poets there's a lot of in american poesy you know the poetry world there's a lot of uh drive to publish right and you hear it all around and this is an opportunity to do it and i've got this and others showing you their books etc going to various performances or whatever and people exhibiting their books and you're mm. wondering like oh wait a minute i could do that i've got an idea my first idea was the tra- out and out travel just trying to hit every continent or as many as I could and just do it, you know, with what I had. And then uh, the Del Marva experience. I was, I was kind of moved. This experience was a little bit of the experience, well, a lot of the experience I've had, but also kind of trying to correct something, which is, I'm sure it's quite correct for those who believe it. That's fine. But Ocean City and this area, I happen to live in Ocean City, but spent a lot of time in Berlin, etc. It's not all sun and sand. And to say that this, to limit this place to all sun and sand, particularly the pressure to do that in Ocean City, I mean, you know, one painting after another, I mean, they're gorgeous, okay? And some folks do them better than others, blah, blah, blah. But there's just so many people that come here from elsewhere and bring all their little hopes and prayers and past experiences to here and are recovering from there or thanking their lucky stars that they're here or whatever. There's that. There are ethnic groups here. And I tried to do that without a Delmarva. I start with the Nor'easter. There's a poem I called Behemoth, is the, where they're, um, what do they call that? They're dredging. Right. You know, every couple of years they dredge and they make beach where <laughs> it's right. in pieces. You know, and seeing that monster, like a monster on the beach, you know, right. sticking out of the sand. I mean, that's all a part of it. And we don't have to dress it up to look like something the tourists want to see. And every once in a while, I think, if I see one more wooden seagull, I'll burst. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or one more painted crab shell or yeah. something. You know, no, Although I- it starts with that, but it's got to go through hopes and fears. It's got to go through this ethnic group or that ethnic group. It's got to go through a real-life experience that we have here. Yeah, I think it does a disservice when you only point out the rosy parts of where you live. I have to see not just the beautiful stuff we have here, but you have to also understand the scars and the not-so-pretty things Mm -hmm. and all of the complexities to it. Mm -hmm. I think if you don't do that, and I think if you're a writer and you don't reveal the scars and the warts and the bumps, then I think you do a disservice to this thing that you say you love. Mm Mm-hmm. You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we're talking with poet Carrie Kamarat. And like some of the, uh, I mean, in the dead of winter, I got a couple of winter pictures 
in there that I just love. It's magnificent. I mean, the snow's lining up the pier, and uh, they're all black and white photos. So, you know, um, blacks, whites, and grays of it. It's just, it's a beautiful environment. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge I'm I'm a, I'm a huger fan of the winter winter on the boardwalk than summer on the boardwalk. I'm I'm from the Jersey Shore, and it's the same thing. I'm just always been I like the the desolation of a winter boardwalk better than better than most other things. We live right on the front on the on the beach, uh-huh. and we own it. Right. <laughs> I mean, like from I don't know what is it November to to, yeah. to May I don't know yeah. you own the your spot of the beach yeah. it's great yeah. you can it's just really you can plant a flag all day long you that's know? right yeah that's and I think that's one of the the things about you know when you're a local uh, I was at the beach this past weekend and I was by myself swimming and this lady kind of like meanders up next to me and she says you know we we're just kind of chatting and. And I was like, oh, you're on vacation. She was like, yeah, we're from this small town in Pennsylvania. She's like, and where are you vacationing from? I was like, no, I live here. And she was like, how do you deal with the tourists? You know, and I was like, well, you know, that's the thing. You take, when you live in a place, you take the good with the bad, right? And Rush hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. All the little footprints in the sand. Yeah. You got to have a laugh. You got to. In, in between cusses. Yeah. <laughs> so with your third book that you're working on, is that something that you are currently in the process of, or are you just kind of working through the inspiration pieces or research, or how is that third one kind of percolating for you? It's research. I've got about four poems of it, and I'm starting to work on a possibility of go- I'm going back to going back to Spain, where we lived for a long time, and I want to talk to someone at the University of Girona to see if I can get any interest in editing my Catalan. Because oh, okay. I wrote, I've written a poem... There's a poem that I, one of the poems in Travel Walk is about uh, Catalonia. And I also wrote a translation of it in Catalan and read it for a group of Catalans at uh, some political venue in Washington, D.C. It was it really went nicely. Oh, wow. And I worked on the two poems, like tailoring them. I had an initial English poem. That was the first one. Then I'm translating, realizing hmm, I'm not saying that quite in the same beat. So I started tailoring, you know, like shaping and carving off of the English onto the Catalan, off the Catalan, onto the English, and just trying to make a bilingual poem experience that was as symmetrical as possible. Wow. And that was fun. But I had to have a final check because my Catalan is functionally fluent and comfortable. <laughs> Translating not, is a whole but, other. Yeah, I mean, there not, are people whose day job it is. I'm not native. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to say something that, no, it doesn't quite, you know. So I needed, a, what do they call it, a referent? Or, you know, somebody, a native sure. to look at it and say, oh, not this one. I had a few corrections. I don't know, four, you know, in that mm. poem, which made me feel yeah. good. You know, I well, did, yeah. did some stuff. And I need that. I'm trying to set that up with the American Legends thing because of all the poems I've read for the Catalan community. And the Catalan community is very well represented in Kensington because the day of the book happens to be the... It's a Catalan holiday. Ah. When El Dia del Libre. And it's traditionally when... Yes, it is. The guy gives a girl a rose. The girl gives a guy a book. 
traditional, moderately sexist, but hey. <laughs> so we, we set up, we had this whole thing of roses and copies of the books, etc. And I, we started Federal Poets, the Federal Poets table. We started giving them out. Oh, come on. We started giving roses to the guys and books to the girls or either one. What do you want? Rose or book? You know, give right, me a, right. you know, this is 20 whatever it was, you know. You know what I hardly ever finish? Your limericks? Hardly ever. <laughs> well, if you'd like to get a limerick from Tony and a haiku from me, all you have to do is go to so what's your story podcast.com. There's a contact us button. Give us your name, email, pick a word, send us your address. Tony will put that word into a limerick. I will put it into a haiku. We will put it on a fancy schmancy postcard, slap a stamp on it, and pay a guy to bring it to your house. Absolutely. And I we have new postcards, so that's a new uh, Yeah, we do. We have some they should be uh, finished this week. Very cool. So yeah. so we'll have we'll have new postcards and um, those of you who are waiting on postcards are just waiting on the yep. printer. Yep, just waiting on waiting on right now, but they will be very, they're going to be super, super cool. All right, Stephanie. Well, now this is the part of the show where you thank the guests. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for coming on in. Thank you. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review. Tell your story.